So we, as we long to make um, Steinu feel welcome, we might have made a number of you feel unwelcome as you are not sons. Well done, Bo. Great job. But welcome. <laughs> and at this time, we've been telling stories over the summer, a five-minute story or as, as, as long as the story takes, but a story that had impact in someone's life, a life-shaping story. And so I want to welcome Tom Sleet, our storyteller for this week. He didn't want me to hear. In uh, keeping with the theme for this month or the series, I'm going I'm to quote a psalm. And the psalm I want to quote is Psalm 2, verse 4. Just the first phrase. He who sits in the heavens laughs. As soon as I heard that verse, I knew that I was a son of God. I love to laugh. Well, you know, one of the things that I think is most healthy for people is to remember that time in your life when you laughed the hardest. I mean, you were out of control, you were laughing so hard, and I'll tell you why after I tell you about the time that I laughed the hardest in my life, and it was at my grandmother's funeral. Don't judge me. No, you don't get to judge me. Let me tell the story, and then you'll see what I'm doing. Now, you have to have a little background. My grandmother was, how do I put this, not affectionate. I can't remember her ever holding me or telling me she loved me. I tried to think of an analogy for her personality, and drill sergeant is the only thing I could come up with. I mean, she was not loving. And toward the end of her life, she was going a little wacko. As a matter of fact, my brother drew the short straw, and he had to go see grandma. So when he went there, she said, you want something to drink? And he said, well, yeah, that'd be great. She said, get it out of the refrigerator. So I said to my brother, uh, well, what did you get to drink? He said, Tom, I opened the refrigerator, and in it were two things. One, a ball of thread about the size of a softball, and garden tools. He said, so I looked at her, I said, I'm not thirsty anymore. I said, okay, so let me fast forward. She passes away, she's around 90 years old. All of the cousins come, all of her daughters come, she has two sons, both of them come. I mean, everybody's there, but there is a problem. And the problem is, is that when I get together with my male cousins, there's a total of 10 of us, including my brother and me, we are hilarious. I mean, we laugh at stories about each other and about ourselves, and we get out of control. So there we are at the funeral home, the night before the funeral, we're in the back of the room, my grandmother's laying up there at the front, and we are howling with laughter to the point that the mortician comes to us and says, you're going to have to leave. <laughs> and we said, okay, and we went out into the parking lot. So now we go to the funeral. 10 of us, two cars, driving to the funeral of my grandmother. As we're driving, whenever we'd stop at a light, we'd look into each other's cars and we're all cracking up. We're just laughing hilariously and we're going, how are we gonna keep it together during this funeral? I don't know how it's gonna work. So we all get in there and we sit in the funeral in the church, we're in rows like this, all 10 of us in line, not one of us daring to make eye contact with another because we knew if we did, we would all lose it and we kept it together. So now it's time to take my grandmother to her final resting place. There's a couple of things I have to tell you. 
It was in the hills of Kentucky. And my grandmother's grave was on the side of a hill. And we were all in suits with dress shoes and leather soles. And it had snowed the night before. So here we are carrying her, four on one side, four on the other side, and one on each end, and we are going as hard as we can. I'm on the downhill side, holding up like this with three other cousins, and we are struggling, and we're not looking at each other. And on the top side is my brother and the other three cousins, and they're pulling up, and we're not looking at each other. And on each end, there's two cousins, and we finally get her to the grave. And we're pushing her onto what would be considered the catafalque when we hear, whoa, and we look, and my cousin Mike is rolling down the hill. Somehow, God provided. I didn't burst out laughing. Instead, I'm doing this. I'm biting my cheek, I'm biting my tongue, I'm going, please God, don't make me laugh, please God, don't make me laugh. When my dear, sweet, female cousin thinking I'm crying about grandma dying, touches my arm and says, it's okay, Tom, she's in a better place. I lost it. I was laughing so hard, my eyes were watering, my nose was running, I was bent over, I could not breathe. I looked at my cousins, oh, it was give it up, folks. All right, it wasn't dominoes, it was an atomic reaction. Everybody's falling over, they're cracking up, the ants are all ticked off, that only made it worse. I could not control myself. I was laughing so hard. So when I, finally the pastor looks at us, looks at the aunts and uncles and said, the graveside ceremony is now complete. That was it. We're done. We were all cracking up. I was never forgiven by at least four of the aunts because I'm the one that started the laughter. But the point of my whole story is this, really. Every once in a while, I need a little spiritual uptick, and I think of my grandmother's funeral. And when I do, it lifts my spirit a little bit. And you know what? He who sits in the heavens laughs, so I'm actually being godly. Thank you. That is awesome. I thought for sure your grandmother was going to slide down the hill. <laughs> the, gift, the gift of family, right? I mean, to have that kind of family and you can laugh and remember is such a, it's such a gift, right? And even in those moments, those highs and those lows like that. So thanks for sharing it with us, Tom. And to remind us of the, the spiritual nature of laughter, right, of a God who takes on all the fullness of emotions, and it feels good to laugh. So um, Tom made you laugh, now let me make you cry, and we'll cover the gamut now. We're, but we're, we're talking about the Psalms, and the Psalms are a tool book of prayer. And last week we talked about rhythm, and we said in the tool book of the rhythm that, that Genesis story creates this rhythm, 
as this opening, and we need this rhythm, and the rhythm was evening and morning, evening and morning in order to help us into the rhythm of the creation account, where God is pulling us in in order to respond to his work in the world, evening and morning, to come and to present the things of life to God, to God, do something with these. And so today, we want to talk about metaphor, because if we're going to talk about prayer and the Psalms, it's metaphor. There is not a psalm without metaphor. So let's begin with a prayer. Maybe one of the most famous prayers, the most famous metaphors within the scripture of all. And let's stand and let's pray this psalm. That's what they were intended for. And let's be aware of the metaphors. This is Psalm 23, a psalm filled with metaphor. And so here it is. Would you join me in prayer? A psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What makes that psalm, you can be seated, it makes that prayer, amen, right? right? What makes that prayer so powerful, it connects with anyone who's, who's human. Regardless if you're religious or not religious, raised in church or not, and the reason it's used at funerals is because it gathers a multitude of people. Some of them know things of God and some don't, but immediately you read it and you can connect. You get what it is saying, and because it's metaphor, the language is meant to invite, it's meant to include, that if you understood the language, regardless of where you lived, rich or poor, whatever ethnicity, you can relate. You can understand what a shepherd is. You can understand what a green valley is. You can understand what quiet waters are. You can understand what a shadow of death is. All of these are metaphors in order to that people can understand and be pulled in. See, metaphors are not meant to limit. They're not meant to conceal or hide. They're meant to expand. And immediately when the metaphor is spoken, it is released with power. And every one of you has a different picture that pops into your mind, a different place. It's a place where the Spirit of God to continue to fill us with places we've been, things we've seen, but to give us powerful images and physical places that will help us connect to the invisible, to the things that are not seen. The Psalms, the tool of prayer is metaphor, and the Psalms are filled with it, that are helped to pull us in. Eugene Peterson talks about the power, and metaphor uses language of, of our senses, of things that we have experienced to lead us into the world of the unseen. The unseen things of this world, faith, guilt, mind, God, 
right? These are the unseen things. The visible and the invisible are joined by metaphor. They help us understand. The Psalms, in it, us, there's language like lions and traps and dirt to talk about sin. There's the metaphors like sun and shade and king to address God. Words like tree and mountain and lamb to describe lives blessed of God. The metaphor is this characteristic language of prayer. And it's one that's meant to include us, to draw us in deeper into this language. Our metaphors bring us closer to the material world. And at the same time, they bring us closer to God. If we call God light or rock or mother, we use ordinary words spoken and understood by a five-year-old. Right? They get those. This is not for the intellectual elite. And I know for a lot of times when we do prayer and when people are afraid to pray, there's all this big spiritual language. It's almost there's a secret language in order to talk to God. But yet there's something so beautiful and powerful, common, everyday, ordinary language in prayer that allows on everyone to experience community because the language is understandable, welcoming, accessible. There's no secret code or insight in order to pray to God. By using normal language in prayer that everyone uses every day whenever they're not praying, we're kept in community with them. One of the most scary things is a, is a cliche language, right? And, and Christianity has important language and, and words that you've got to understand what they are, but the language of the Psalms and the prayers is inclusive. It's metaphors so people can understand. That's what makes Psalm 23 so powerful. The Lord is my shepherd. And many of us didn't raise sheep, right? Or cattle, but yet we know the shepherd analogy. And when we hear that God is our shepherd and he guides us and he leads us and he protects us with his rod and his staff, it comforts us. So let's do one more, um, another psalm that is packed full of metaphor. It's Psalm 18. There is so much metaphor in this psalm and so I'm just going to take us through the first 19 verses. And so as we pray it, let's be, uh, let's be mindful of the metaphors, right? Because they're meant to pull us in. Yeah, uh, how many of you were raised when you were praying with this introductory speech before you pray? Bow your heads, close your eyes, right? It, um, and, and sometimes that's appropriate posture for prayer because you're so distracted, but the Psalms are, are, not, are not that way. They're meant to illuminate. They use language that brings images to our minds. They're not saying, close your eyes, bow your heads, and cut out every kind of imagery. They're saying, no, keep your eyes wide open. Let's see things as they really are. Let's have different pictures that explode in our mind. Let's look outside at real things that connect to God in our relationship. Powerful language. And so, so that's this. So let's, because we're going to read it, and we're not going to have our eyes closed, or our heads bowed, because this is going to be a communal prayer. Let's have your minds on and your, and your imaginations opened as we pray. So let's pray Psalm 18 together. So would you stand again? And just take notice. Take notice of the metaphors that grab you, that connect with you. 
And so let's understand there's a rhythm to the song, there's a pace to it, and we're not going to try to read it fast. There's no rush in reading the Psalms. We want the metaphors to connect deeply. They were written for that way, that we could be pulled into the story and it could connect with our everyday world. Psalm 18. And, and let's read the introduction because, again, that connects us to context and to the context of our lives. For the director of music, of David, the servant of the Lord, he sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed, and the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of breath from your nostrils. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. How about that for metaphor and imagery in order to pull us in? Super powerful, strong language. So if we go back, Nick, can we, call, can we show up verse uh, 2 
1 and 2 have it? Well, we'll take that verse 2 of this text. Because this is kind of where it starts, verse 1 and 2. The Lord, right? Here's, here's verse 2. Well, the first one, I love you, Lord, my strength. In verse 1, my strength, a metaphor to describe God. But in verse 2, powerful metaphors. Let's look at these. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. Again, my rock, the one I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Now, all these are metaphors. Which one of these, um, I don't know, grabs you most? Which one of these connect? Which one's that, that metaphor seems to take a deeper root that might mean something? I mean, many of us have, have gone to places where there's rocks, right? Where there's massive rocks. You've been to Yosemite or, or just maybe you've, you've, you've climbed outside or you've been to a mountain where you just saw that or you, or you climbed up just a, a big boulder and you stood on it and you understood how strong and how firm it was and for God to say, oh, I'm your, I'm your rock, I'm your fortress. I mean, if I've visited places like on Fort Mackinac, right, or other fortresses that we've seen around the world and understood and seen what God says, no, I, I am your refuge, your stronghold, or your shield. Not many of us have ever carried a shield. I know what Jesse Miller has at some time or another. He used to do the, like the, the medieval fighting and stuff with your buddies, right? But many of us, don't know shield, but we can recognize the idea of shield and it can connect to us. Which one communicates deeper and further for you? Share, share which metaphor with the person next to you. Say, hey, which, which metaphor um, is one that maybe just carries a little bit more weight, a greater reality, a little more hope, a little more security, a little more like sense of, oh, this is good, I need this. That, that word has some strength to it for me. That word is a rescue for me. So share with the person, the closest person to you, which one of these words stand out? The power in it. You can see how this language is invitational. It's meant to draw you in. It's meant to be gracious to say, this is, this is who God is. It's a gift. It's meant to be a life vest in the torrents of life. So it starts there, and then it begins to go downhill, right? David begins to tell his story, and he tells his story through metaphor. And he begins to do this, and he's like, the snares of death, the coils of death entangled me. They were going to take me down into the abyss, right? This is all metaphor. He's not describing exactly what happened in all these places where he felt like his life was being snuffed out. So he pulls in metaphor because it's incredibly more inclusive. It's meant to run us further. And many of us can relate to this reality of feeling like death was knocking at our door. 
We can, we can connect to that even if there wasn't a physical death that was pursuing us because many of us have known the mental anguish of death that has come upon us in anxiety and fear and uh, just being gripped in depression, right? We can connect to this language physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally to say, ah, I'm ensnared, ensnared and trapped. And what does David do? He calls upon God. One of those things that's so crucial in the Psalms continue to bring us to this place. It's a repeated pattern for us because sometimes when we get stuck in the snares, we need, we need a prayer that says, I'll call upon you. Help, help. And what does God do? It is metaphor. And this language, this metaphor of God where it's like the blast of his nostrils, right? And I mean, right? God is not blasting his nostrils. This is metaphor in order to grip us where he is coming down. The fury that is coming as God steps to his beloved in order to save them. This God who steps in for salvation to come for the needy. Smoke coming from his nostrils, fire coming out of his mouth, burning coals blazing out of it, right? This is a story of God stepping to those who are in need. This is God's response when, when his loved ones whom he delights in call to him. He engages. It's fury. It's action. But then all of a sudden, after the hailstone and the bolts of lightning and God coming down in the darkness and the covering of clouds, all these metaphors. In verse 16, he turns back to gentleness in metaphor. He reached down from on high, took a hold of me, drew me out of deep water. Right? David in his stories was never drowning. It was metaphor. None of us may have never experienced drowning, but you know what it is to be in deep water? Goodness, I do. I know what it is to say, I'm sinking, right? I'm going down. I'm going down unless you do something, God. We can't sustain. And the metaphor is saying, God stepped in. He took a hold of me. He grabbed me with his hands and placed me on solid ground. This is our God. And the metaphor is to include us. And it's to include us and it's to expand our imaginations of the reality of who God is for us to be able to see the invisible in the visible things. When we go to deep water, we can remind her of the one who sustains us and grabs us out of it. When we see a big mountain, we can be reminded of the God who is our rock. When we go into the natural places of the world, we can into the valleys. And to the places that are scary, we can understand the God who takes us and takes us a hold of us through the valley of the shadow of death. It's the God who not pushes out of our material world, but meets us in this material world with his presence. This is our gift, and this is the tool of the Psalms. We need to pray these so that the metaphors can include us and invite us into this language that's inclusive and welcoming a language of God's salvation, language of our need, a language of our distress, language of his great care. There's one uh, metaphor at the beginning of this psalm. It's found again in, in verse 2. So you want to pop that up here, Nate? And I'll, and I'll kind of close with this text in the Luke 1. 
at the end of verse 2 in this psalm, it says this. So we get my shield um, and the horn of my salvation. It's another metaphor. And there's a lot of different meaning for this because horns were used for a lot of things uh, back in, in, in ancient Israel. You know, they were used to pour oil in them. They were used to the shofar as a ram's horn that's blown as a battle horn. But the, the horn of salvation is also, I mean, animals had horns, right? You know, and it was to protect themselves. So God, you are my horn of salvation. As I needed an animal to step in, one that had some protective mentality to them. The beautiful thing of a metaphor is it brings up an image, a mighty horn of salvation that would come. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of a mighty horn, an animal prepared with horns in order the horn of salvation that would come to defend you and protect you. It's the way that a mother animal would with big antlers. I have a three-year-old. The image that comes to mind of horns is the mighty triceratops. We'll see the horned beast up here to be able to see this, the horn of my salvation. Now, that I've given you an image, I have just taken yours and delivered mine, but may there be another, the horn of salvation, who steps in. The super cool thing is that Jesus was called the horn of salvation by Zechariah, a prophet at the birth of John the Baptist. The horn of our salvation who comes with his might. It was a metaphor the horn of our salvation, right? The one who would save us. This is in Luke. Verse 1, 68 and 69. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He's paid for them. It's another metaphor word, right? He's paid this price for them as they were held in bondage, enslaved, enslaved and had a debt that needed to be cast away. He redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. David was the one who wrote this psalm. They said, oh, from the house of David, which Jesus was born from. He's, Zechariah is prophesying about this horn of salvation, Jesus who has come. Jesus himself used metaphor to describe himself. I am the good shepherd, Right? When the wolves come, and they do, and they attack the sheep, all the other shepherds flee, but the good one does what? Lays his life down for the sheep. Right? That's metaphor. So that we can understand, have some way of understanding what Jesus has done for us. The other powerful metaphor that Jesus used, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body. He took wine and he shared and he said, this is my blood. Spread out for the forgiveness of sins. What Jesus did was powerful. So hard to be able to explain in words. So hard to be able to explain through theology and academic words. That's why the Bible uses metaphor because we cannot explain it. Except for the reality that it is. None of these metaphors are exaggerations. They are not hyperbole. They are accurate. So Jesus took bread and he broke it saying, this is my body, this is my blood. Those who eat of this will not be hungry. Those who drink of this will not be thirsty. It gives life. Even in the symbol when he broke this with his disciples, he gave them metaphor. 
something physical to take into their bodies, to eat and drink again, to remind it as they ate and drank of the reality of Jesus who gives life, who brings salvation, who sustains us with food, who cares for us more so. This is a true meal. This last week was an up and down week for myself. Uh, my, Carmel's 39th birthday was on Tuesday, and she wanted a steak dinner. And so I was like, I'm going to take you to a steak dinner. So I called, I texted my buddies. He knows all the best restaurants in the city. And he was like, if you want a steak dinner, you've got to go to Prime and Proper. It was the most expensive dinner I've ever had in my entire life. I sweated through that entire dinner, knowing that this, this, you know, so, but amazing experience, right? Tangible things, and the whole, the whole thing is an experience of meat, for those of you who are, who are meat eaters. Amazing. Uh, the, and so a, a height as we celebrated and got to experience this reality of the physical world that God has given us to celebrate over food and celebrate over cake, right? And this reality of life that God is giving us. Such a good thing. And then I think it was only 24 hours later, all of a sudden, boom, life spins from the greatest meal you've ever had to the worst day you've ever had almost as Karma goes into an asthma attack and we've got to call 911, right? And... Uh, and and God sustained and and cared for her and all that, but then you spend the next 24 hours in the hospital, right? Trying to breathe again, trying to be sustained from the heights to the lows. And in all those needing, needing God to step into our material world, wanting to connect him here. She's out, but what a week, right? Highs and lows, and I tell you what, this meal, this food that we eat here, even in a cracker and a juice is a meal I need. It's better than my prime and proper meal. It was more costly than my prime and proper meal. Right? This is not a cheap meal. This was infinitely more expensive, infinitely more extravagant than what I paid on my wife's birthday to say, I love you. I want to celebrate in this material world the best things that we can be together. And so we have this metaphor of life that says, oh, here's a costly meal. And we get to celebrate in it. In this meal that every one of us need. That crowns us. That we eat something that we'll taste. The gluten-free cracker. Every time we say it, we kind of laugh. But it's one that we get to have. It's one that Jesus, this is, this is not an exaggeration of him saying, you eat of this and you, if you eat of me, you will not go hungry. If you eat of me, you will not go thirsty. He is not exaggerating. He is the only source of life, right? Yeah, there's, there's other wells we can drink from, a metaphor that we think we might find life. But I tell you, for those of you known, who have known the heights, the amazing experiences and the low experiences, how oh, it's Jesus that sustains us through us all. And he's inviting us to metaphor. Thank you, Jesus, that you give us words and language that we can understand. And because we can understand, you're saying to us 
that you welcome us. You want us to understand. You want us to get it. You want us to grasp your love and the reality of your salvation. You want us to experience the satisfyingness of your food and of your drink. You want to know that in this world we can connect with you in the physical by seeing something beautiful, by looking at a mountain, by seeing a stream, by seeing a sunset, that you, God, are painting those pictures to communicate to our souls of what is invisible and good and bigger. And you, God, are sustaining us today and offering us food and drink. And you're welcoming us into the Psalms to pray you with this tool of metaphor. May our imaginations be found. God, may, may, we, may the metaphor, God, pull us in deeper to you and to one another so they're not, we're not beyond community. We're just pulled into it bigger. That we're able to include more people because they can get it in the metaphor. They can understand you and the language. Thank you for being such an inclusive God. Thank you for connecting yourself to things around us. That we can get it because there's so many things we don't get. Thank you for Jesus. We need Jesus. We need this salvation more than we need food and drink. We need you, and we thank you for your offer of life, and may we come and eat today and drink. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.